I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney for NPR Illinois Community Voices and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host, Craig. I'm joined today by my co-host, Miss Vanessa Ferguson. Hello. And Mr. Brett Rutherford. Hello there. I am so excited, you two, today, because we get to talk to uh, just a prolific performer, someone that has been able to handle not just one uh, iconic role within the Disney dumb, but also a, a second iconic role. She brought Belle to the stage in the original Broadway cast of Beauty and the Beast. Just an incredible feat on its own. But then she also has brought Megra into our lives in Hercules. We are talking today to Susan Egan, who is, of course, a Tony nominee for her role as Belle in Beauty and the Beast. And she's also just an incredibly kind and gracious person. I can tell just from the interviews that she's done and the work that she's done with Disney. I am so excited, especially as a theater nerd, to get to talk to her today. Vanessa, your thoughts on the interview we have coming up? I'm really excited. Um, I mean, it's Belle. I, I guess we should, have, we should have said bonjour instead of hello at the top of the episode. But, oh, yeah. you know, we that, have. we're just not that quick sometimes. But, I, you know, she's one of my favorite animated characters of Meg, the most realistic uh, Disney-like princess person, a Disney heroine. So, I'm just really excited to get to talk to her about her career and see how wonderful she is because we've listened to several podcasts and interviews with her now and she seems like such a delight. Absolutely. Uh, Brett, your thoughts on getting to talk to Susan Egan? Well, thrilled, number one, thrilled. And we're, we're talking to her now, but then we're going to see her concert with the Disney princesses. I, I'm very excited about that, too. So, And, you know, I've spent a lot of time watching Hercules recently, and I'm just, I'm just loving that even more. And, you know, so what's, I, I, there are no words. Again, for me, there's no words, but I can't wait to talk to her. I remember going way back to several years ago, and I don't know the episode number, so don't try to test me. Uh, but I know that we did Hercules as an episode, and you were so excited about that film, Brett. In fact, I had really enjoyed Hercules, but your level of excitement and love for that film really spilled over. And so now it's become one of my favorites because uh, – I understand that you think that I, I don't like a lot of the things you like, but actually your joy and your um, overwhelming love for something really does help me. I know, elevate it's it infectious. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. It, it is. <laughs> it is a bit infectious, uh, which maybe is a word we don't want to necessarily use right now, but uh, still, it's just so wonderful. But I know that you didn't want to listen to us up front. You want to hear Susan Egan. So sit back and be our guest as we present to you, Susan Egan. We are so excited today to be able to talk to Susan Egan. Susan, how are you? I am great. Thank you for asking, Craig. Yay! So glad Absolutely. Do you mind if I start this interview off by complimenting you uh, tremendously? Is that okay with you? Okay. 
I have done a good deal of research in getting ready for all of this and trying to come up with some questions. And from what I can tell, you are one of the most positive and kind individuals on this planet. And it just seems like you have this energy that just lights up a room and lights up a Zoom call. So, so thank you so much today for sitting down with us because we could use a little positive energy and I feel like you're going to bring that today and we're just so excited. Oh my goodness. Yes, that's a really kind compliment. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, I feel really lucky to get to do something that I love and even more lucky that what I love to do um, is something that is light and frothy and brings joy to people's lives. And especially like right now, I used to want to be a really serious actress, um, like, you know, the deep, dark pathos stuff. And uh, it's just not my type. <laughs> and then I really learned to be grateful that my type is something that, um, you know, can bring joy. I remember my agent saying, not with that haircut, you're not going to do anything serious with that haircut. So, you know, <laughs> it used to being silly. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, our first question is actually about the brand new tour that was just announced uh, very recently. You're in a new tour this fall, Disney Princess the Concert. And in fact, you're coming around the central Illinois and St. Louis area uh, in early December. You're in Peoria on December 3rd. And then you're also uh, at the Fox Theater in St. Louis on December 11th. And us as a group, but Beyond the Mouse, we've already got our tickets in uh, purchased and ready to go for December 3rd. So we are so excited to see you. And and I just want to talk about what's it feel like to be starting to mount a tour after all of us have been kind of inside for the last couple of years. Are you excited about this tour? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, for all of the reasons that you just mentioned. So I was part, I'm part of a company called Broadway Princess Party LLC with my business partners, Courtney Reed, the original Jasmine, Laura Austin's original Cinderella and Benjamin Rahula, our creator and musical director. And we've been touring for the last, you know, four years with Princess Party and uh, Symphony started becoming interested. And so we made that call to Disney because They've got the charts, the symphony charts. And ultimately what, what came out of this during this time of COVID, which has been very difficult for performers, is a partnership with, with Disney concerts to present a princess show, which they'd been wanting to do for a long time and just didn't have the bandwidth to produce. They liked what we were already doing. So it was a perfect marriage during a really difficult time. And so the concert, while I'm ecstatic that it's finally on sale. And we just added a second show in St. Louis because we've sold so well there that there's going to be a matinee now too. I was on phone calls this morning about that. It's also been that saving grace just for us during this time period of lack of creativity and no performances. And we had over 40 concerts canceled at Princess Party. Our, we have a large roster of princesses that come in and out of our show and all of their Broadway shows were canceled. Their off-Broadway shows were canceled. Like it's just been as everybody knows by now, really, really hard for performers. And so to be able to focus our creativity and intention in developing this Disney Princess, the concert, which coincides with the ultimate princess celebration, a new campaign that Disney's doing worldwide, whereby they are rebranding these um, female heroic characters, um, really emphasizing their courage and kindness, which is so 
<laughs> true to our hearts. Um, it's, it was kind of a, a perfect um, opportunity to develop this. And now we're finally public. We, it was a secret for a whole year. And uh, tickets just went on sale last week and it's doing very well. And we are literally in a kingdom near almost everybody in this country. So we're, we're thrilled. It has been, um, like I say, a real like savior for us in development. And now hopefully a great first moment back into theater for audiences who have, like us, been stuck at home. Absolutely. And I should mention that while we mentioned Central Illinois, because we're coming to see you there, uh, you are going to be all around the country. And so I really encourage all of our listeners from around the country to go to DisneyConcerts.com. And there's actually a link right there to the Princess Concert Series. And then uh, there might also be a direct link as well. Um, It's DisneyPrincessConcert.com. DisneyPrincessConcert.com. Perfect. So check that out. And we'll definitely mention that again towards the end of the interview as well. But Brett actually has a question about how this concert came to be. Ah, well, yes. Well, you had mentioned, I mean, the, the Disney Princess Party. And and I was familiar, well, via YouTube, because we're in the Midwest, um, the Feinsteins uh, 54 Below. And right. that there was 787 performances. Was it between there and then your, your tour that you've had? Um, the 787 performances is how many times I played Belle on Broadway. So I oh, joke about that. Oh, okay. okay. So you might have seen a clip where I talk about 787 performances. That's how many times I did that. Oh, that. Um, oh, but, well, I'm sorry um, to have that wrong. No, 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 no. Because I think we might be close to that now with Princess Party as well. So it started, um, it was the brainchild of Ben Rauhala, and he brought Laura on board. And actually, it's a funny story. He was on a Disney cruise ship doing a concert with Jeremy Jordan. And they, like, as a joke, went to the princess tea party luncheon that is intended for small children. <laughs> and they went, these two grown men. Mm-hmm. And Benji, of course, is such a lover of Disney that honestly, any excuse to go to that was kind of his thing. But He was looking around going, you know, there's Ariel, there's Belle, there's Jasmine. He's like, I, I know all these girls on Broadway. Like I know all these girls. Wouldn't it be hilarious to get all of them on their night off on a Monday night. And we just do all the princesses and the whole princess canon on a Monday night at 54 below. And so they did that as a one-off and it immediately sold out. They did more of them. It became like it, it would sell out in five minutes Um, And so then they finally had the chance to take it outside of New York and they called me up because they happened to be in Southern California where I was living at the time. And so I joined them then and we kind of all together said, you know, this thing is bigger than this. Um, It's really, I've done so much animation that I spent a lot of time at Comic-Cons and I was sort of explaining to, to Benji and Laura, I go, there's an audience that we haven't tapped into yet. And it's these these people who have spent hundreds of hours and and thousands of dollars building costumes that I'm telling you rival the Broadway costumes that we had. Let's give them another place to wear that dress. Like let's invite those people to this show and really make it an interactive party. And then, and then we started touring that. And like I say, then we made that phone call to Disney and Disney's like, actually we expected them to say that's cute. Now you net better stop it. But actually (laughs) they're like, we love what you're doing. We love the message that you're sending. Our princess party show is very inclusive. Yes, we had families, but we have all our gender fluid folks. We've got our gays. We've got our um, theater kids in college. We've got a lot of like 
daughters 25 to 35 and their moms 55 to 65 coming together, reliving their VHS tape days. Like it's super nostalgic. And that's the exact demographic that Disney um, wants to reach with this new campaign. And so, like I say, it was, you know, the stars aligned and Meant we got to be. Yes. Yeah. And at 85 cities, is that, I mean, that sounds exciting, a little daunting. And you're kind of, since you have kind of a, a wide array of princesses, are you kind of moving in and out? And are you, okay, we just, you know, um, I guess selfishly ask if you think that you might be in the Peoria and the St. Louis area. <laughs> yeah. so, so, okay, so we didn't expect for that many cities to be to be interested. And so some ladies have taken jobs, but the way it's worked out is that we have a 2021 cast, which is going to be myself, Laura, Courtney, and Aisha Jackson, um, and Benji, and then our Prince, Adam Levy. Uh, and, and we are set for 2021. For 2022, Laura had already booked a job in London, so we don't have Laura. Um, but we'll have, we always will have four legit Broadway stars on the thing. So just stay tuned to who's going to be in a city near you. But I will say this, Brett, that Courtney and I have committed for the entire first year of the tour. So she and I will Yay. be there for sure. Aisha can't do spring, but we've got Cindy Winters coming in. She was Nala on Broadway. I just had a phone call with her this morning. She is a queen. She is a fierce queen. And we're really excited to have her. And I think it's kind of the culture that we created at Princess Party is that, oh my gosh, I saw Laura in Peoria. Oh, I saw Christy Altamar in, in St. Louis. I saw, you know, Aisha in Atlanta. But the fun of it kind of is this celebration of so many women and how diverse we are. And I think um, at a time when I think a lot of women are pitted against each other, and particularly on Broadway, there's usually one of us per show. <laughs> there's one heroine and and the perception is that we all have to audition against each other to get these roles in New York not me anymore because I'm too old but um but the rest of them and it just couldn't be further from the truth the sisterhood on Broadway it's a very small group of ladies who are incredibly supportive of one another and we've never had an opportunity to showcase that in public on a stage and to be there and Watching Courtney sing Colors of the Wind makes me cry every single night. Like, you know, there's nothing in me that's like, I want to sing that song. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's Courtney's song. and <laughs> She does it better than anybody. And I want to celebrate that. And just showing that, I think, is, you know, the courage and kindness that, that the campaign is about, but also gives a public face to what has always been true on Broadway of, you know, Donna Murphy and I, like, text each other all the time on message each other on on insta all the time it's like were we up against each other for the tony awards who cares she's mother gothel heck i would have voted for her she beat me out in 94 but honestly if i'd been given a vote i would have voted for donna murphy so like you know yeah and you know it's just it's so great that so many prolific uh theatrical performers coming together singing all these songs by the way sydney winters uh just saw her she was in the presentation when they unveiled the disney wish and she's saying such a beautiful rendition of when you wish upon a star so that'll get you excited too if you if our listeners haven't seen that uh she is in there as well um but i know that uh, you have such a prolific theatrical career and vanessa has our first question about that okay yes (laughs) Well, the three of us met doing theater. And so we have a a bunch of listeners who just love performing, love the theater arts. And we want to ask what some advice you would give to someone wanting to start a career as a performing artist. 
I think the best advice is that theater is available at every level for every person. And I feel like everybody should sing. Everybody should sing. Now, is, you know, it's like golf. Everybody can golf. Are you going to be Tiger Woods? Maybe not everybody's going to be Tiger Woods. But the thing about singing and performing is that it just, um, it opens you up, I think, as a human being. And, and what I will say is this. All of my training was in community theater. Some of the best performers I have ever worked with, I worked with at the community theater level because they also had other passions. They might have been doctors or, you know, accountants or, or teach school teachers. And so they didn't pursue this for a living, but they're incredible performers. And the arts, I think, are just so important in, in general anyway. Um, but I encourage you to <laughs> step past your fear and find that local community theater and start there. And then the other thing I would say is the audiences who watch community theater and the audiences who watch Broadway are the exact same people. When they take a vacation to New York, they buy a Broadway ticket. So as far as an educational um, standpoint, I'm big into taking classes and I love teachers of theater and music, but the biggest teachers are the audience. They will tell you right away whether what you're doing is working or not working. And then you can adjust from there. And the audiences you get at every level, um, they're the same people. So I learned so much doing community theater about what worked for me playing an ingenue. And I ended up sort of discovering that, oh, what worked for me was being a little quirky, a little off center, like not your typical Lori in Oklahoma. I'm a little like goofier, a little more slapstick. And for whatever reason, that, that was what clicked for me. The other piece of advice is that you've got to be authentically yourself. And it's ironic because we get into this to play other people. Like we don't want to be ourselves, but a lot of times when I'm working with people, they'll be singing popular from wicked and they're doing a Kristen Chenoweth impersonation. And like I'm friends with Kristen. And so what I know is that she really does talk like this. And like, that's, she's not putting it on. That's who she is and what makes her performance magical and Tony worthy is the fact that she is authentically drawing from herself. So if you want to honor Kristen Chenoweth truly draw from yourself, be your own Galinda, be your own bell. Um, the material is so good that it warrants different interpretations. So, you know, listen to that, OG cast recording once, watch the YouTube video once, and then put it away. Don't watch it anymore. Um, really just ask yourself, what would you do in this situation, trading your life for your father's as Belle, or, you know, betraying your friend in Wicked, whatever the case may be. Um, what would justify making that decision in your own self and life, and then bring that to the character? So be authentically yourself and take advantage of, of theater at every level and just find that, that step in and go beyond your fear and just do it. That's excellent advice. And I, I hope our listeners are taking that to heart. And we definitely want to talk about your career as well. So can you speak a little bit about the experience of landing that first professional role and then moving on to being a Tony Award nominee in Beauty and the Beast? I don't even know what that means. I mean, the one <laughs> thing to be, it's like, you don't experience being a Tony. I love that. But it's like, I think what I've learned is that what you experience... Like the Tony Award is a certificate that actually slipped out of its frame, which I thought was funny. So it's still hanging like askew um, <laughs> because that is the dream, right? And so, oh, I finally got there and I got nominated for a Tony. And then I realized 
you don't really experience what it's like to be, it's just a certificate that hangs on your wall or in this case, doesn't. Um, What you experience is showing up eight times a week and what motivates you to do that and what helps you get through that show so you're not phoning it in and show 786 or whatever that is, right? (laughs) But I will say this too. So to answer your question, I, my first leg in the door was doing all this community theater and I had done a community theater production of No, No, Nanette because I have the haircut. This is way back in the early 90s um, for most of these listeners perhaps were born. And actually St. Louis Muni, a professional theater was doing No, No, Nanette. And that producer was looking for somebody who wasn't 35, somebody who was authentically Nanette's age. And I had just done this community theater production, but the director knew that producer and said, oh, there's this girl, Susan, who just did it for me. You should see her. And so I went in there and I sang the stuff from Nanette. And as I was leaving, he said, hey, do you know Bye Bye Birdie? Do you know any of the Kim McAfee stuff? And I'm like, I do. Like my junior high had done Bye Bye Birdie. I was not the lead. I was in the chorus, but I do know the song, How Lovely to Be a Woman, because I listen to it every show. And so I sang that song and I ended up getting cast in both. And what happened was, that Bye Bye Birdie in 1990 at the St. Louis Muni starred Tommy Toon. And I thought to myself, wow, this nine time Tony Award winner is doing like summer stock. Maybe this is a terrible career choice. But what it actually was is that Tommy was trying the show on to see if it was a good fit. And he decided it was. And he decided to take it on national tour the next year. And I got a phone call in my dorm room from him saying, we want to take it on the road, um, but I'm not directing it. This guy, Gene Sachs, is directing it. Would you be willing to fly yourself to New York to audition for Gene? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, he directed all the Neil Simon plays. Like, I'm obsessed. Of course I will do that. And I ended up getting cast. And that was my first big break. And it was two steps away from that community theater production of Nona Nanette. Wow. I got my equity card at St. Louis Muni. That show went on national tour. Tommy became my mentor. He said, LA's musical theater was not cool yet. Again, there was no high school musical. There was no Chicago, the movie. There was nobody doing Into the Woods or Hamilton streamed. Like it was not cool to be musical theater. That was a, an art form that had long since left Hollywood. And so Tommy said, um, you should move to New York. And he became my mentor. And at the end of that tour, I moved to New York. And in the first six months, I auditioned for for Beauty and the Beast. So I mean, three steps away from that community theater at La Mirada Civic Light Opera production of No, No, Nanette. It just goes to show you, you never know what's going to lead where. It's not like becoming a doctor where you have your residency. Like it's this linear path towards having your own practice in theater you really don't know and then it's it's also the lesson to be professional from the very beginning be kind from the very beginning like if if I had been a really difficult Nanette I don't think Terry Ralston would have recommended me to Paul Blake the producer at the Muni you know so just show up and be grateful and um and be prepared you know Oprah Winfrey my hero says what is luck opportunity meets preparedness Now, you can't always control opportunity, but you can control how prepared you are for when that opportunity comes. And so, 
Yeah, I live that, that whole idea of a growth mindset. I, it's, it's like that, that idea that you can, you can do it and um, you need to be prepared to do it. It doesn't just happen overnight, but you can work harder at it and you can gain a skill and move from there. And it's just so, so lovely to hear that story. And especially the St. Louis Muni being involved. I was not aware of that, that that was your first professional theater. First professional gig with Tommy Toon. Isn't that crazy? Wow. I know. Wow. Way back in the day. Um, and then I would say, too, that um, with that growth mindset, um, you know, you, you don't really know what's going to come next. Like, but, but putting it out there in the universe, having that intention, it has to start with that or nothing will happen. If you don't have the idea first, it's, it's not going to come into being. Well, Beauty and the Beast is one of my personal favorites. And it was one of my personal favorites to actually be in as well. I was able to play a spoon during Be Our Guest. And also, I had the honor of being the last bonjour at the end of Belle, uh, which was was great. LeFou is still one of those dream roles that maybe someday as well. But um, you're, you were really charting new waters, bringing Disney to Broadway. And there was a, a lot of uh, cynicism around that move. There was a lot of pressure on that production. What was it like putting Belle on stage for eight times a week and seeing that reaction and this kind of revitalization that occurred partially because of that show? Yeah, gosh, that's such a good question. And it was all of that. Like there were there were the good things and the terrible things about it. And I have to say, I was surrounded by incredible people. It was my first Broadway show. I was 23 when we were rehearsing it. Um, and you're right. Disney had never done Broadway before. Now there's this, in hindsight, perception that, of course, Disney's a Broadway producer. And of course, that's true. But at the time, we didn't know if this would be a giant egg that we were laying on a stage. Like, there was no guarantee that this would be a hit or successful. Also, just even um, adapting it from the movie to stage, like, you know, Mrs. Potts is not five inches tall. She's, you know, five, eight, and it's Beth Fowler <laughs> in a giant teapot costume. Will people accept this different mythology of these, of these characters that they had to write to adapt it? And also, Disney wasn't following any of the rules. So Disney had their own way of doing things. They're like the Broadway established elite said, no, 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 you must do it this way. And Eisner said, why? That doesn't make any sense. He was right, but it ruffled a lot of feathers. And so even our Broadway review really didn't mention a lot about our singing, dancing, or acting, but spent three paragraphs on the 42nd Street deal that Eisner brokered with Giuliani. So, I mean, it was political, but I had Gary Beach, who was Lumiere, who on stage and off stage was the light of this production. And we had so much bad press and he would just take my hand and we would go outside and we would look at the line around the corner of people buying tickets to this show. And he says, you are going to be able to stay here for as long as you want to. I have been in a lot of flops. This is going to be a hit. And it's just, he's like, make sure you understand what's important and what isn't important. Also, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was still at Disney at the time, he's like, no press is bad press. He says, you know, when they're trying to knock you off a pedestal, it's because you're on a pedestal. So um, that has informed, so that positive negative experience of Beauty and the Beast, my first experience has informed everything since then. And it was such a way of learning how to 
uh, prioritize what was important and what we could deliver. And the very same people who were like, I can't believe they're putting a spatula on stage were the same people who auditioned for the spatula and didn't get the job. So, um, and then also Disney learned a lot. They felt like we had to look exactly like the movie. Terry's 6'1 and I'm 5'3", so already there's a height difference, but it wasn't the exact ratio of that iconic silhouette of the original movie poster. So they kept me in flats and they put him in lifts so that we were the exact ratio. I mean, that's how they felt their audiences would be able to accept this adaptation. And they learned in one show, audiences are much more sophisticated than that. We don't, we didn't have to look like the movie at all. And their very next show, Lion King, took a huge departure and is still running or opening again on Broadway. It's, it's one of the longest running Broadway shows because Disney learned in, in one example that, oh, our audiences really just want the heart of the show and they're excited to see a new interpretation of it. Um, there's talks of a revival of Beauty and the Beast and I can't wait to see what it looks like. And I bet you anything, it's not gonna be a yellow dress and a blue jacket. It's, it's gonna be a little bit more outside the box, which this material warrants. The, the material is Oscar nominated for best picture. Like it's, it's, it'll be exciting to see what they do. Absolutely. Vanessa, you had our next question. Well, talk about Oprah. I've got chills from all these words of wisdom coming out of this (laughs) interview, but uh, we do want to know a little bit more about the behind the scenes um, during Beauty and the Beast. So we know in theater, there's always behind the scenes jokes. Maybe performers are making up songs in the wings or they're ordering food backstage. So we wanted to ask, do you have any fun behind the scenes stories from Beauty and the Beast? You know what? It's okay. So what, 27 years and nobody asked that question and it's such a good question Vanessa yes there's a million things backstage. <laughs> it's a long-running show how do we keep ourselves entertained okay Merwin Ford who was the spatula that I just mentioned he was the understudy for Gaston and he was he's since passed away um so sadly way too young but he was just one of the funniest guys ever in fact there's a line where Gaston proposes to Belle. So Belle, is it yes or is it yes? And and Merwin like barely knew us yet. We didn't, it was like third day of rehearsal and he goes up to Burke who's playing Gaston. You know, I just thought the line might be funnier if it was yes or is it, oh yes. And Burke just plays it he, like he's really angry and takes his wallet out, takes out a 20 and says, anytime, man, anytime you're funny, like give me anything you want. <laughs> Merwin's audition for Gaston, he's saying, I feel pretty from West Side Story in his... Oh, wow. Like he's six, four in his like bass voice, like baritone, like just a funny guy. Okay. So Merwin was that guy always. He wrote lyrics to the dance break of Be Our Guest that we all sang backstage. And it's like, you know, here he comes, here he comes, cheese grater, man. Hey, like, cause it was when our cheese grater was doing his, you know, like dancing on stage. Um, the, during the transformation as Terry was turning into the prince, it's all this music, da 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 And Merwin had lyrics to all of it that everybody has learned since then. And it's, you know, and we all sing them. Terry pulled my wig off on stage accidentally during the chase at the end of act one. 
he had these rubber hands on me. He was having a hard time. He was supposed to rip my sleeve. It was a rip away Velcro sleeve. And that's the impetus that makes Belle so scared for her life that she goes back on her word and leaves the castle, right? And he was having a hard time. Velcro's really strong and he had these rubber hands on. I go, Terry, I go, don't worry about it. I go, I'm just going to plant my feet. You're not going to hurt me. Just grab the sleeve and yank as hard as you can. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, totally sure. I'm fine. So the very next show, he grabs my sleeve, but the ponytail of my wig had gone down my sleeve because I turned my head a certain way and he pulled and pulled just like I told him to. And he pulled the sleeve off and my wig and I was exiting anyway. So I left the stage and I collapsed and might've peed a little bit in laughter. The stage manager and I are watching him. Here's a man who was the original Javert in Les Mis. He was the original Rum Tum Tugger. Like he's a consummate actor and we're going, surely he's going to do something amazing to cover for this moment. But no, and also he has a big brown hairy costume. Like he could have hid the brown wig anywhere on his body but he held it out at arm's length, horrified by what he had just done. He turned right, he turned left, he turned right again. He didn't know what to do. And then he looked at me in the wings and he threw the wig to me. So anybody who didn't see him rip the wig off me now has seen it. We've sent her children into therapy. I, I'm like, that's the best you could do. Like we lost it. And then he had to sing a five minute ballad. And I thought, well, that serves you right. Oh like, yeah. Terry. You're like the best actor on this stage. Like, come on, that's the best you could do. Things like that happened all the time. We had little girls in the audience when I was first revealed in the yellow dress one day. And all those little girls were wearing their Disney store version of that dress that their mothers had to rip off their bodies once a week just to put it through the laundry, right? And um, there was a little, I came out in this dress that's like a $40,000 dress um, and won best costumes that year. I mean, it was it's the dream dress. And uh, there's a yellow spotlight. So it's even more yellow. Terry's in the West Wing with Lumiere and Cogsworth. And Beth is coming out with Chip to start singing the title song. And I'm revealed in this spotlight. And this little girl, 10th row, stands up in her chair and says, she looks just like me. And <laughs> like we died on stage. I mean, that's life theater, right? We're not a movie screen. Like we can hear you. And we all lost it. Like the whole, the orchestra lost it. They were laughing. The entire audience is laughing. And it's like, we stopped the show because that's why we were all there. And she's right in her, you know, $30 Disney store dress. You know, she did. We that's, loved it. Yeah. Those are all such incredible stories. And thank I mean, you so much for, for sharing them with us. And as you can tell, the three of us are theater geeks. We could talk to you literally all day long uh, about your Broadway career. I do have one more question about it. And that's that you've played some other very iconic women on Broadway. You played Sally Bowles and Millie Dillmount. And I, I just love both of those shows as well. But you didn't originate either of those roles. Is that a different experience than what you had with Belle? Because you're, yes. you're, do you have any kind of expectations you have to live up to because these characters were portrayed by other wonderful women on Broadway before you? That's a great question. And it's sort of like, um, you know, I, I got to voice the character of Meg, but then I also voiced Miyazaki movie translations that, that already existed. And just in that same way, you do approach it differently. I mean, 
I'm going to go into Millie and I'm not going to ask Leslie Uggams to change anything about her show. I'm going to do whatever it is that she needs that Sutton did for her so that her show remains her show. And that's different than in a rehearsal studio where you might come up with some business together. Right. Um, but then there, but then there are plenty of um, moments that you do get to make your own with a certain director. And in this case, it was Sam Mendes and Rob Marshall for Cabaret. And I can't be Natasha Richardson. She's six feet tall and she's blonde and I'm like a minute tall and dark. And also I'm a dancer. So like, um, so Rob re-choreographed it for me, which was an amazing thing. And Sam was like, we'll find who your Sally Bowles is. Same thing with Michael Mayer as Millie. Um, They had to reverse all the choreography because Sutton was the tallest girl in the cast. I was the shortest girl in the cast. So like, her physicality and physical humor is going to be very different than my physical humor. So there are just things that innately you have to sort of rediscover. But at the same time, I'm very respectful of what she did and what the actors that are still in the show are being asked to do by bringing in this new person. And, and I want to make sure that they're comfortable and that their shows remain intact. And But it's just as interesting from an acting standpoint, because it's it's a puzzle piece that you have to figure out how do I make it authentically me, but fit within these parameters. And I actually find that really fun and interesting to figure out. Absolutely. Brett, you uh, are wanting to transition over to Hercules. Well, yes. Well, I was I was thrilled to be in the audience for 2019 D23 Expo Zero to Hero, the making of Hercules. What an amazing, it was amazing. It was, and, and, and your performance of, I won't say I'm in love was the perfect cap off for the, for that wonderful um, panel. And it was just so, it was flirty and fun and everything. It was, it was awesome. It was I'm just so awesome. Glad you so liked thank it. you for I that. I able to flirt with thank John and that. Ron. Like they were like, what? Oh, I know. They were, they didn't really know what to expect. So. <laughs> it was very fun. It was very, it was very cool with, you know, with, you know, the movie in the background, but I mean, this is where the show was, so it was good. It was lots of fun. But Meg is a very complex character with so many moments to exhibit qualities historically not found in many female Disney characters of the past. So can you tell us more about your Meg? What was it like to bring your performance? um, I think a lot of people are like, do you, do you hold a grudge that Meg isn't a princess? And it's like, not at all. I wouldn't trade her for the universe. She's the only Disney heroine who actually starts out as a villain and transitions into heroine. Um, Nobody does that. It's like you're Ursula or Ariel. Like it's, and so that's cool. And I think it's what makes her particularly accessible to people is that she is flawed. She made terrible decisions. She has a string of bad boyfriends. Like we all relate to this, right? She's not perfect. Like it seems like it's very easy for Belle to trade her life for her father's because she's always had that courage inside her. And Meg had to dig deep to find it. And really had to change and question herself. She has more of like the beast's arc than, than, you know, a typical heroine arc, right? She also gets those zippy one-liners. The script, you know, John and Ron wrote an amazing script. It's a 1930s screwball comedy. Um, She's likened to Barbara Stanwyck in The Lady Eve and has that sing-songy cadence of of Lauren Bacall, you know, if you need me, just whistle, you know how to whistle, don't you? You pucker up your lips and blow. Like, and their script just lent itself to that. What they didn't know when I auditioned is that I'm obsessed with those movies. What they also didn't know is that I was really acting as Belle and Meg, not acting at all, had 
a long string of bad boyfriends. It's where my voice naturally sits. Sarcasm, I think, was the first thing my mother taught me. Um, so, like, being able to truly bring myself to something that ironically wasn't me in a live action way. Um, friends who saw the movie say, I recognize you more in Hercules than I do in anything I've seen you do on stage. And it, and it's just, it's kind of true. I, I, I love that she's, um, you know, she's sassy and sarcastic and, and a little jaded and has to learn to see hope, do you know, and that it's not yeah. too late for anybody. Right. Oh, well, well, and, and and her intention with, you know, the bad boyfriends and the breakups and the, okay, well, you know, I'll do this for Hades to save, you know, all that sort of stuff, you know, it, she's not, well, she's not, a, she's not a, a bad person. She's just drawn that way. Ha ha, to use that joke. But, but it's anyway. true. Um, <laughs> and also, she was way ahead of her time. I mean, she's hashtag me too, you know, I mean, in 97, you know, when nobody was talking about any of yeah. that. And, yeah. and it's fun because in the, um, the stage version that they did two summers ago now um, in New York, my friend Krista Rodriguez played Meg and they had, like in Beauty and the Beast, which was a 90 minute movie and a two hour, two and a half hour play, they had an hour more material for um, Hercules in the park where they added this stuff, where they were able to legitimately pull Meg into her full Megness, where you know, Hercules is asking if she needs help. And instead of having just a little quip, it's like, you know, it's really asking like, why, why would I need your help? I'm fully capable of like handling myself, do you know? Which is in fact what Meg is saying, but now we really say that. <laughs> like, listen. Yeah. And honestly, I must say that you gave more with, um, with like this thing, which I could, I was trying to look at it again to see where exactly it was, but it was just just that just that one little thing you know yeah. it's just great I know and I'm, credit Ken Duncan too I mean Ken was the animator for Meg and he just he nailed it with wow. her eye rolls and her jutting of the jaw and the you know popping of the hip like it's it's, so great. it's great so good so did they film you during that time I mean they do yeah. that don't they and yeah so, and even wow. at my audition at my audition they filmed it you know thanks Herc it's been a real slice and I did this like little thing with my hand and then I saw it on the storyboard after, you know, a year later when I'm cast oh, wow. and I recording, I go, I thought that's so weird. I did that at the audition. That's what Alice, the producer, she's like, yes, that's where we got that. I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. <Okay."> <laughs> Instincts. Yes. <laughs> now I'll tell you that Vanessa had come up with a brilliant question about the differences between Belle and Meg, but you were so brilliant that you've already answered that question. So Brett, I think we're going to go back to your next question. Um, oh, yes. Well, well, okay. Can you tell us, you know, again, back to Hercules, can you tell us a little about the recording of the song that actually has lived in my head all week? Um, I won't say I'm in love. And yes, I'll say I'm in love and I'm loving it. You know, the song, it keeps it. it you know, I don't want to use that earworm thing because no, it's, and that's kind of gross but I'm like going the song has just been living in my head and it's made me really happy in a week that's been really tough so everybody does choreography to it when they hear it come on so you know <laughs> it's, right how brilliant that was that good. animation I love what the muses are doing that entire time um yes yeah, so that was not the first song written for Meg I was 
excited to do the show because uh, the, the movie, because it's Alan Menken again. And um, I thought, oh my gosh, like my friend Jody Benson, I'm going to get that Alan Menken soaring ballad that I'm going to sing for the rest of my life. And they wrote it and we recorded it and it didn't work. Uh, first of all, I was cast, they, they went to the Broadway world to cast Meg because it had been a while since they'd had the same actress be the singing and speaking voice. They had started that with Jody and Paige O'Hara and then they kind of veered away from that with Esmeralda and Jasmine and they had different actresses, um, Pocahontas. So they wanted to get back with that but then when we recorded the soaring ballad, they're like, we have the same actress and she doesn't sound the same as the character at all. And it was because it's in that upper register. And, um, and Ken Duncan actually said, Meg would never sing a soaring ballad. And everybody went, oh, that's true. <laughs> so they trashed the song and they wrote a song about being in denial. And it's so right. And she can be jaded and sarcastic. And now it's, it's not a song, it's not Meg's song with backups. It's a duet between Meg arguing with the muses. So it's Meg and the muses singing a duet saying no way. And they're like, girl, yes way. And we know more than you know. And, um, and it's an argument that they win by the end of it. And I just, I love it. It's a throwback to what Alan and Howard used to write for, um, for Little Shop. Um, but getting to record it in a room with Lilius and Lashans and Cheryl and Venice and Roz, you would think would be the highlight of my career. And it was the most mortifying experience because I had just listened to them record um, uh, Zero to Hero or one of the other songs where I, I mean, <gasps> I was blown away. And then I, they're like, okay, Susan, your turn. And I'm like, uh, and at the end of the song, Alan is in the booth. He's like, he says, okay, just do a riff to the end. And I'm like, I don't know how to riff. And he's like, really? And I go, really? And so he had to come in the studio. And Lilius is like looking at me like, oh, honey. And he had to plunk out <laughs> da, 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 until I could sing it. And then we recorded, no, oh, oh, which now I can sing 27 years later, but um, I just, it was very beautifully humbling and I love those women had already known them from the Broadway world because it's a small community and they just put their arms around my shoulder and said, it's okay, honey, we're going to teach you how to do this. And, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> That's great. In fact, that was my next question. So you answered that too perfectly. I just oh. love this film. I love this film. So. And I'm glad you said it was a duet because I know in my head, I can't decide if I want to be one of the muses or I want to be, you know, Meg, which one is it? So I try to just do both while singing it. (laughs) That's right. A little bit of Sybil. It's hard to sing it as a solo, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely, and it's a scene. It's a scene that is an argument, which is what makes it, I think, really fun to perform. Do you know, it's not reflecting upon a feeling that you have. It's like, it's an argument about like, you know, no, I mean, I'm not going to trust a guy. And they're like, honey, it's too late for that. You, you, you're, you're 
Absolutely. And, you know, we mentioned earlier that all of us have been at home this past year, but you've really found a great way to connect to your fans. And in fact, the co-founder of our podcast network booked you for his wife for her birthday because she had played Belle in our local community theater and they booked you through Cameo. And it was like, he showed me the message, which I, I hope that that's allowed. I don't know that it is, it but, is. He, <laughs> but, but it, it was so kind and and gracious and you sang a little I mean it was just like amazing it was like this four or five minute message to her and just made her day Um, so I wanted to talk a bit about that experience how how has that been connecting with fans virtually like this Um, and also I know you've done some of the galaxy cons I believe as well and some of those conventions that are taking place online what's that experience been like and how have those fan interactions been It's been incredible and it's something that I hope remains. Now that the world is opening back up, Broadway has announced that it's opening up, we're gonna head out on tour with Disney Princess. Um, But I think out of necessity, Broadway caught up technologically. But what we've learned is that there are so many, like what you were saying before, you'd seen some Princess Party videos on YouTube. Well, there's so many people who want to see Hamilton who will never be able to go to New York or afford that ticket if they do. And so what we're learning is that streaming Hamilton is not going to decrease sales because the people who want to be in the room where it happens will buy that ticket. And maybe even more people will want to be in that room. And I hope that that aspect stays. I like that we're doing these Comic-Cons virtually. I love doing it in person. Nothing can beat that. But you can reach so many more people and spread the joy a little bit farther. I love doing the cameos because I get to know, because sometimes from where we are, and you guys know this as performers, that audience is just like a mass glob of people. And the thing with cameo is that it's not, it's an individual who has a story, whether they are a nurse who has been working COVID hours over this last year and they just need a little pick me up and I get to be the voice of that cheerleading message for them is A, a huge honor, but also B, just puts everything in perspective, right? Um, For your friend's wife, I mean, I love speaking to anybody who played Belle because it's a sisterhood that you can never explain what it's like to wear that yellow dress in front of an audience. Like I can tell the story, but only another girl in that yellow dress really knows what it's like to exit that stage door and meet those people. And so I always love welcoming new ladies to that club. And, um, and so I really, I like the individual nature of, of the cameo messages. And I know that all of my, my friends do as well. Um, I've talked about this with, with Laura and Courtney and um, it's, it's a lot of fun. That's so great. And like I said, it's just, it really brightened her day. So I know you're still on Cameo uh, as well. And so that's always an option. Um, And if you want a good example of how incredible you are as a mentor, just watch Encore, uh, watch the Beauty and the Beast episode of Encore. And then there you go. So uh, my goal for this whole interview, Susan, was just to make sure that you felt uh, as great about yourself coming out of this interview as possible, because you are just amazing. So, um, but Vanessa, you have our next question um when you're ready yes well we know you're a fan of the parks and since we asked about your behind the scenes memories during beauty and the beast we thought we'd ask if you have any favorite behind the scenes park memories or do you have any special memories of being in the parks that maybe other park guests uh, would be excited to hear about 
Oh my goodness. Okay. So I grew up 15 minutes from Disneyland and was really lucky to have that mom who once a year would surprise us on a school day and tell us we weren't going to school. We were going to go to the parks. And I just thought she's the coolest mom ever. And she was, but I also now know as a mom that she just wanted to ditch her own responsibilities that day (laughs) and, and didn't want to wait in really long lines. And so we went on a school day. Um, So I've always loved the parks, Um, getting to go to Walt Disney World and do events. I think for me now, I've done so many events and filming at the parks, which happens while the park is closed. So you're there after hours, before hours, you start like when the park closes and then you film all night, but it seems like daylight because they have all the lights on and like the music is still playing and you can't believe how loud it is even though it's the same volume that it is during the day, but without people there talking, you're like, wow, it's so loud. And to get to sort of be taken behind the scenes and sort of see how the magic is made is, is always really, really exciting. Um, It's funny. My, my husband is, you know, was new to musical theater when we met, like he didn't know anything about musical theater. And I remember when my, my girls were young, we waited in line to get pictures with the princesses and, um, And those princesses are worked really hard. I mean, like that line is hours long and they just want to smile and take the picture and move on. And for whatever reason, Robert felt it was really important to explain to that poor girl who was playing Belle who I was when I was all sweaty in Florida and didn't look anything like Belle. And I'm like, honey, like, but not any pun intended, but like, you let it, she doesn't care. Like I've been in the position where like, Okay, we just got, uh, it's time for my break. It's 900 degrees out here in this Florida summer. I'm wearing a giant yellow dress with a big wig and my makeup is running off my face. Like, um, and so that always made me laugh where he felt like it was important to explain. I'm like, no, 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 no. We don't need to do that at all. But honestly, when I I'm just a fan who's having a great time and incognito and yeah. The other thing I found amazing, time. you know, it's so hard to be a face character at Disney. Like you have to pass all these different tests to audition to be a face character. And so then you're approved to be certain characters. Like you can be Aurora and you could be Moana and you could be. And it's so interesting to me that the girls who are approved to be Belle are also approved to be Meg. Isn't that interesting? Whatever they oh. felt like those facial features, I'm like, that's coincidental. Not that there's a lot of Megs in the park these days, but back in 97, there were Megs in the park. And, and it was like, they just took all the girls who had been Belle and, and they could also be Meg. I'm like, that's weird, isn't it? Well, that'd be a good day. You know, hmm, who am I today? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, they're always so good. I mean, a former cast member actually in entertainment. So I have a lot of princess friends too and all yeah. of that sort of thing. So yeah. yeah, but, and you know, we can tell everyone you know, the tunnels are not as nearly as glamorous as everyone thinks they are. So, you know, you know, that's true. Well, I think, well, actually, I think it's my turn. So I'm going to, well, I was watching your Disney World Minute, you know, and I, and I just, and I was loving it, you know, I'm like going, you know, because I'm like, where are you? And then, of course, as a cast member, I'm like, where, you know, where you were and all this sort of stuff. But anyway, but okay. I mean, we've talked for, I don't know, what 25 minutes or so so we're best friends so I can so I can tell you that at the end well I was also I was very happy to find out that Mickey bars are your favorite snack food because snack foods here on Beyond the Mouse thanks to Craig 
who always just kind of gets us going. He, it's, it, we call it banter, but I think it's hate. I don't know, but, but anyway, I go on and on. Well, we have we have fans of certain foods and other people who are not fans of those foods, Vanessa. Anyway, but anyway, so I was loving your Disney Minute. I was loving your Disney Minute. And, and then my heart sank because you, you know, you were asked, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get into the park? And you said, the turkey leg? I'm going to have a turkey leg. <laughs> and I'm just like going, I was with you. I was sorry. with you. You know, Don't be so sorry, like going, Susan Egan. That turkey leg <laughs> yeah. is delicious. He just doesn't know any better. It's that Henry VIII, I'm walking around with a turkey leg. Like it's yeah. so yes. like messy <laughs> and awful. And yet it's still offered. Like, like I think that was offered when Walt opened the original park, right? And like nobody has come off that. And like, it's still offered. I keep waiting. At Disneyland- a Disneyland um, um, corn dog would have been a better choice than you know, than, but you know, but that's okay. I'm still gonna love I've you. I've never had a Disneyland corn dog. You haven't? Oh no. my gosh! Well, you know, so that was my other question. So when you go to Disneyland, you know, whenever the next opportunity for out-of-state people, I hope you still yeah. have your California ID. Then you can go in any time. But anyway, oh, I sound really bitter right now, just a little bit. But I'm like going, <laughs> but I'm like, wait, what's the first thing you're going to do when you go to Disneyland, which is your home park? It is my home park. It's so interesting because they've expanded for Star Wars now. And so like they got rid of that petting zoo that nobody even knew was there. But we had annual passes, two small children. I would take them to Disneyland just <laughs> like my mother for myself, because with the annual passes, you could just go for a couple of hours. Like you're, the investment isn't that huge. And so I would take them to that petting zoo like all the time and that's gone now. So it's a little bit sad, um, but you know, improvements have to happen and I am a total Star Wars nut. So I'm, I'm glad that that exists. Um, what is my favorite thing to do over there? It, it's always sort of different. Like there are times when I go and I just hang out in Tomorrowland or I just hang out in Fantasyland, you know, um, because I never feel like I have to do the whole park in a day. Right. Um, I, it's, it's hard for me to, That's also, okay. my girls are older now. And so like they can do the big roller coasters now. So I don't get to do the little, you know, baby things that they used to love to do. And so I'm, right now I'm missing that. Can you do me a favor sometimes, though, when you go to Walt Disney World, can you do Enchanted Tales with Belle and then volunteer (laughs) to be the beast, please? Because I think that would just be perfect. Yes. 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 I should mention we're going to go in. Yeah, absolutely. Just say I I need to be the beast. We are going to go into rapid fire and Vanessa's going to handle that. Uh, I will say that this is a good uh, time and opportunity. We just had David Alpert on our podcast last week and his very first episode was with one Susan Egan. So you should check out the e-ticket to Broadway episode with Susan. Uh, It's a wonderful, wonderful conversation about the parks and and just everything. Um, But we are not quite as serious as David when it comes to this rapid fire you do get just a little bit more you you can explain things a little bit more we're a little bit more free than he is but Vanessa's going to handle that okay awesome all right here we go uh first question favorite Disney film oh Mary Poppins oh wonderful uh favorite attractions I mean I always have to say um uh 
uh, Space Mountain, but I just was recently in Walt Disney World and I am obsessed with Avatar. Yeah. The, uh, the, the flight, flight it's beyond. Yes. It's the best thing I've ever been on. So, wow. but Space Mountain is still like my childhood, like go to. Sure, sure. I haven't you done can have more than one. Yet, Absolutely. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, this is, it could be contentious. Favorite park snack. Well, I'm going to stick with, because it's safe on this podcast, the Mickey Mouse ice cream bar. Okay, great. Uh, favorite you. restaurant. I just went to, what is the one in Animal Kingdom? Um, we just went this last time. It's like a high-end restaurant in Animal Kingdom. Is I'm it Tiffin's? Oh, it is. Oh my gosh. The menu is incredible. I had the curry and then they had this um, sort of a tiramisu layered dessert that literally had the Savannah sunrise and, and like Simba on it, like etched on. It was amazing. It was wow. so good. That sounds great. I, I should warn you, one thing that we do here is we take the things people say and then we like to go in the parks and say, well, you know, Susan Egan says this is very good. She told me personally. So there you go. I'll, be, I'll be doing that. Um, <laughs> uh, favorite Broadway musical? Oh, I mean, I know it's cliche right now, but I have to say Hamilton right now. Yeah, it is. I mean, great. I think maybe like over time, um, I mean, a classic Guys and Dolls, I think is a perfect show, but then Sweeney Todd. Wonderful. And then uh, last one, favorite dream or your dream role, I guess, or if you have more than one dream role, you could, you could give us your favorite one. It used to be like shows that exist, but the, but the thing is what I really love doing is being part of development and doing something that is new. Although I will say this, if they ever do um, Tangled on Broadway, I really do want to be Mother Gothel. Yeah. One yeah. of the best villain songs ever. So good. Yeah. So, sure. so passive aggressive. It's so yes. good. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our rapid fire. I have to say you did actually do this pretty quickly. We've, we've had uh, some people like take going, quite a long time. <laughs> tick, tick, tick on our show. You know, you just explain all of your love for all of the things that we ask you about. So we'll definitely have to let David know that you did, you did wonderfully and you, you, it didn't take as long. Uh, that was great. So perfect. But Brett, you have one of our final questions. Oh, well, how would you describe Disney magic? And oh. can you share uh, one of your own Disney magic moments? Gosh, these are great questions. I would describe Disney magic as inclusive. I think what it does, first of all, the science behind any sort of magic they pull off, that synergy department and um, just how they develop things. The way Disney works is they come up with what they want to have happen and then they make it possible. They, they, write, they write the software afterwards, which means they're putting the experience before the technology, which I love. And then they just make that magic. That is the magic that they can make their dreams come true. But the inclusiveness of how Disney brings people together, how they're continuing to grow as a company of inclusiveness and diversity is very inspiring. It is hard for large corporations to pivot, but Disney does because because the consumer, the people, the public has always been what matters most to them. That person's experience 
on a microcosm level as an individual level, not that mass audience level. Um, they really care and think about it. And now that I'm in on the development of this Disney princess concert with them, literally on zoom calls all day long, every week, um, every day, I'm getting to work one-on-one -on -one with these people. And that mission is really true. It really does happen. It is about, we're talking about what our VIP experience is going to be on Disney princess, the concert and the VP at Disney on the call is like, it is important that Disney name is on it. There is a level of experience that we demand for those people. They need to come in knowing that it's going to be an excellent experience. And so our job is to execute that, right? And I love that that matters to them and that that's not like baloney. Now that I'm on the inside of making that sausage, it really isn't the essence of who that company has been. And it's and it's what Walt created and it, and it exists to this day. So that's the magic to me bringing people together wow. and putting them first. What a wonderful, wonderful answer. And just, um, it, it's so great because they've added a, a fifth key that all their cast members have to live up to of inclusivity and, and, and that idea of inclusion. We've been talking to so many different creative people during this pandemic in particular, and they talk about the need to see yourself in the story that you are uh, viewing. And as somebody that grew up uh, as a white male, I've seen myself in a lot. So it's so nice to have have others be able to have that experience and be able to grow up uh, with that. And it's just so great that the company is able and, and willing to do that. They really are. And I have to say, it makes me really emotional. I'm teary because even just the other day, you know, with the press for this concert, I talk a lot about, you know, what it was like to have the opportunity to play Belle. And it is sad to me that at 51, it hadn't occurred to me that that was probably a lot of people's dreams and I saw a lot of white girls in that audition room. And that dream was an opportunity for us and it wasn't for others. And Disney is really putting into practice that that will no longer be the reality. Thank goodness. And um, it's exciting to be a part of something that, um, that isn't afraid to grow and evolve in ways that are so necessary. Absolutely. That's, that's just wonderful. It's been amazing speaking to you today. And I know that you're doing a good amount of press and interviews for the upcoming Disney Princess, the concert tour, which tickets are available. Please go to that DisneyPrincessConcert.com and check that out and go and buy up all those tickets for a spot near you. But we wanted to ask uh, if you had a question or a story or an experience that you're never usually asked about, but you always want to talk about, uh, because I know that sometimes you get sort of the same questions over and over again. So certainly you could have a moment to think about it if you do, but I know that sometimes there's things that you would just love to talk about, but no one ever asks you. So we're asking you. Okay. So, so many, first of all, you asked amazing questions and you actually asked a lot of things um, that I've, I've not been able to talk about in the past. That's, I mean, just nobody inquired about, but it's like, there are experiences that are also very humbling about um, playing these Disney princesses. First of all, when I was in New York doing it, I had short, spiky red hair. Like, obviously, I was wearing a wig. And so exiting the stage door, I was a colossal disappointment to the small oh. children who were going. And so we had this thing going. There was a girl named Roxanne Barlow, who was the center plate. She was the tall showgirl in the middle of all of the, the ensemble numbers. Um, who had long dark hair and just beautiful rosy cheeks with zero makeup on. 
on and rosebud lips. Like she's beautiful. And I used to joke, I'm like, she's the prettiest girl in the village. Like they really had to ugly her down for the first scene, you know? Um, and she would exit the stage door and she's such a humble person. And she's like, Susan, I don't know what to do because they keep like asking me for my autograph. I'm like, Rox, just sign it. Just be Belle for them. Like, no, nobody wants to see me at the stage door. Like I am, I've got freckles, I'm Irish. I've got red spiky hair. I'm usually dressed in like my punk rocker clothes. Like Disney thought for a while, like, do we build you a wig that you can exit the stage door in? And I'm like, I don't know, it's a possibility, but I still think I'll be a disappointment up close. And so there were, there were the people who were old enough to know that it's not actually Belle on stage. And I signed all those autographs and I met those people and I took pictures. But there was th- a good 30% of the audience that got an autograph from Roxanne Barlow. <laughs> that's and so that's amazing. okay. So, yeah, and that's, that's okay. She, she was their dream. She walked out and she was Belle. She inhabited it. She embraced it. And, you know, I mean, who's to say she probably should have had the role in the first place. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so, so much again. And thank you for your time. Um, And is there anything else, any final thoughts that you wanted to leave the audience with? Oh my goodness. Just thank you for having me. We're so excited to get back out on the road. Um, The women that I get to perform with and Benjamin and Adam are just incredible people. Our heart is there. We can't wait to see you guys safely inside theaters and love on these characters together. It is a very interactive show. You will be called upon to sing with us. And uh, it's exciting to, to build our Broadway princess party now with full animation and orchestrations and, and the Disney magic that you talked about, Brett, like is going to happen on stage because Disney's so good at doing that. And now we get to, you know, have it as part of this production. So I hope to see you guys there. That's so incredible. And we are already counting down the days. Uh, This whole crew will be there in Peoria on December 3rd. And we can't wait for that. So thank you again for your time and have a lovely day. Thanks, you guys. Such a joy. Thank you. Thank you, Vanessa. Bye, Brett. Bye, Craig. Enjoy. Have a good one. Awesome. In Peoria. See you soon. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Well, that was just so amazing. I was on cloud nine that entire interview, and now I'm coming back. I'm human again. I'm okay about talking uh, about this interview that we had with Susan Egan. She is just everything that you would hope that she is and that uh, she's just again, so kind and gracious with her time. It was just such a delight to get to talk to her today. Brett, your thoughts on our interview with Susan? Well, I can't say I won't say I'm in love because I am, you know, I mean, how can you not be, you know, gosh, she's an inspiration. And that's, again, every, there's so many times when we get together and we can talk with these wonderfully talented and amazing people who've had part of their career at Disney and part elsewhere we always learn these wonderful life lessons and so it was so we can add her wonderful moments of inspiration to that list and you know go back and listen to that and feel good and know that Susan Egan is in the world making everyone feel better that's a good thing I know. It's like she just makes you feel right at home, right? Uh, It's just incredible. I'm trying to see how many Beauty and the Beast puns I can get into this episode. Uh, If you catch them, then you know you're as big of a theater nerd as I am. Vanessa, your thoughts on the interview we just had with Susan Egan? 
I mean, I was going to echo what Brett said. I I am always surprised by the, like I said earlier, the words of wisdom that come from these professionals, the, these creative people. You know, she talked about Oprah and, and like my ears perked up. I'm like, oh, oh, you're an Oprah girl too? And I'm like, of course you are. You're saying all these wonderful and wise and intelligent things that, are, that everyone should take to heart, um, like having a growth mindset. What a wonderful piece of advice. Um, and I loved her behind the scenes stories. The one about the little girl dressing up as her and then saying, she looks just like me. Boys, get ready. Because when we go to Peoria, I'm going to wear a gold dress. I'm going to stand up and go, she looks just like me. She doesn't. <laughs> but, you know, we're similar in height. So there's that. But oh, I, yes. uh, I'm so excited to see her perform. I'm excited for the show. And it was like, I, like I thought she would be, she was just a delight. You know, I, I told these two the other day, we bought our tickets together and I, I just said, uh, it's really a weird feeling to buy tickets again. But then when I completed that purchase, it felt so good to envision myself six months from now or whatever it is, seven months from now, sitting in a theater and being able to watch uh, these amazing performers, these prolific Broadway singers bring this show to life. So I cannot uh, suggest enough that you go and check out this concert and this tour. They have dates all around the country starting in November. So please go and check that out and support someone like Susan, because again, she is just putting so much positivity into the world in a time where it's just greatly needed. And uh, the fact that we could even mention the the words growth mindset and talk to her about that in a podcast all about Disney just speaks to the amount of uh, thoughtfulness she brings to her work and into her career. And we cannot wait to see you. And Susan, if you're listening back to this at all, uh, thank you for all of that. And we can't wait to see you on December 3rd because we'll be there. I know that we have some listeners in that area too. So definitely message us if you are going to be in there uh, in Peoria. We'd love to say hi to you while you're there as well. So any final thoughts, Mr. Rutherford, up to you first? Uh, well, I know you shouldn't really, you know, want future things now, but I, I just can't wait. I'm really, I wonder if there's going to be a cast recording. Oh, we didn't ask that. Well, anyway, I, anyway, well, that would be great. I can't wait until we hear and watch all of the Disney magic. Mm. Vanessa, any last words from you? I'm just hoping Shop Disney makes a bell dress in my size. If not, I'm going to have to patch a whole bunch of them together. <laughs> if they only so make many... them for little girls, I'm going to need a few little girls' dresses to make one for me. <laughs> there, there are definitely some cosplay <laughs> options out there, I think, for you. I think I, I still I hope I don't so. know. My, oh, I might have my costume from Lumiere. I mean, I was more of a chunky candle. But I anyway, might be but a I'm better like, pot, actually, but... Uh... <laughs> I, I just want to stand up and go, she looks just like, maybe I'll do that to Mrs. Potts. Mrs. <laughs> Potts, you look just like me. You <laughs> just want to have that moment, that. don't you? Do you think do. it would be the same reaction if you did it as the 10-year-old <laughs> girl uh, on Broadway? You know, there's a youthful person in all of us, and I think we need to appreciate that. So, <laughs> yes, I think it would have a good reaction. Of course, it might come with a restraining order and some jail time. But, you know, 
it's, it's about priorities and, and, and what's worth it. Absolutely. Well, thank you again to Susan for her time. Thank you to all of you for listening. If you're brand new to the podcast, please consider going back and subscribing to all of our old podcast episodes on any podcast platform. You can find those. We have a lot of great discussions amongst the three of us about the parks and about movies. We also invite on some guests sometimes. We have some great interviews. Uh, Recently, in this month, actually, we were able to talk to Disney legend Tony Baxter about creating a lot of the magic in the park. We also talked to C-3PO. We talked to Anthony Daniels earlier this month on Star Wars Day. Just incredible interviews. But I also really just enjoy those times that it's the three of us just talking our love for Disney. So go and check out all of those episodes in any podcast app of your choice. We are part of nprillinois.org, so you can go find us there as well. You can find us on social media on Facebook. Search for Beyond the Mouse Podcast. We also have a great Facebook group that's pretty young still. It's a, a couple of months old, and we're having such fun with it. It's Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals, and we talk to our audience there. We do some polls. We just share a lot of Disney news that comes up, so please go and check out that if you're on Facebook. Uh, We can also be followed on Twitter, Beyond Mouse, and on Instagram, Beyond the Mouse Pod. We are also part of the Front Row Network, so make sure to follow them on all their social media as well, just by searching the Front Row Network. Holy moly, what a wonderful day. What a wonderful interview. I'm so uplifted uh, and ready to go about the rest of my week because of this. So again, we can't thank you enough, Susan. It's just been wonderful to get to talk to you and we can't wait to see you and make sure you go buy those tickets for Disney Princess Concert. You can find him on DisneyPrincessConcert.com. So for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Brett. And we will see you real soon in the front row. I'm so glad none of you asked me to sing LeFou while she was on. I was really worried that because of what I've done to you in the past, that somebody might go, Oh, yes. Go ahead and sing LeFou. Oh, no. Well, you know. (laughs) Can you do it now? Can you do it now? I mean, I think you have it as an audition song, don't you?